We're going to be reading from the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. And if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to follow along. If you don't own a Bible, we would love to provide one for you. And we have extras out on the tables in the vestibule. So if you would pick one up on your way out, we would love to bless you with that gift. Again, Joshua, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success." Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, well, good morning, Christ Community. Uh, my name is Reed, and I uh, have the joy of being one of the pastors here at the Olathe Campus of Christ Community. And uh, before we jump in to our text that Dana read first, I want to pray for our time together. So let's, um, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we do pray in this time, Lord, that, that you would teach us who you are and who we are in light of you. Lord, for the things that we do not see, would you, would you show us? For the things that we do not know, would you teach us? And, and for the people that we are not, would you make us that we might reflect the image of your Son uh, more consistently in all of life? Lord, bless this time. May we, may we be edified by it. May we be glorified as well. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so when I was a, uh, a senior in high school, uh, I, I began and attempted to do something that I'd never done before. I started uh, bathing regularly. Uh, it was a, no, just kidding. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I did bathe regularly, but, um, but no, I, I attempted to climb a 14er. And, and for those of you who don't know what a 14er is, it's, it's a mountain peak above 14,000 feet above sea level. And, and this, was, this was quite a daunting task, but, uh, but I think I have a picture of me from high school. So this guy, this guy, where is he? Look at that. Yes, that's a guy. And yes, that's me on the right. Um, I attempted to climb a, a mountain. And, and it was rather daunting, um, but, but I did it. And I was, even though, contrary to what you might think from the picture, I was actually very prepared. Uh, I had done my research. I had mapped out the route. I had gotten a backpack that weighed twice as much as me, which was wonderful. Um, but I, I was ready to take on uh, Mount Blanca. Uh, Mount Blanca is the third tallest mountain uh, in Colorado. It's the one on the right. Um, and it is uh, in the south central part of Colorado. And it's a part of the Sangre de Cristo mountain range. So we have a little picture of that. So uh, really beautiful, beautiful scene. So if you've never climbed a 14er, 
I mean, it is. It's remarkable. Nothing quite like it, both in the, in the challenge of it, but in the view um, from the summit. And we did make it to the summit. We made it to the top, and I think we got, this was taken with a disposable camera. Yes, those things exist, and I'm that old. Uh, but we made it, but not before I was at this point where I just wanted to go home. I was so... <laughs> <laughs> like, this was not staged. Like, I, I got altitude sickness so bad, and my friend Derek, his, uh, he put the camera up. He's like, Reed, we're taking a picture, and I just kind of looked over, and I just wanted to go home so badly. But, but it truly was an amazing experience, both in the journey, but also in, in the view that we had as we arrived at the summit. And, and I share this story uh, because in some ways, I think my journey on Mount Blanca uh, that experience was, is similar to, it's a metaphor, I believe, uh, for the bold faith journey for followers of Jesus. Uh, and, and if you've been with us uh, the past few weeks, we've been exploring this idea of bold faith. Uh, and the reason I compare that to this journey on Mount Blanc is because no matter how compelled I was to summit the peak, no matter how prepared and, and researched and trained and conditioned I was, no matter how much gear I had, my boots still needed to leave an imprint in the dirt at the trailhead. And I had to keep moving forward. I had to begin that journey with, with an initial step. And, and if you've been with us, th this is actually our, our third week and our final uh, message in this series on bold faith. And what we've seen so far is that what bold faith requires, two things so far, is a big story, a story that, that transcends us as individuals, but transcends us collectively. But it also requires a big God, a God that is greater than our fears, greater than our aspirations, and greater than what we can see. And, and as a church, we, across all five of our campuses of Christ Community, we, we have felt that we are at a place where God is calling us collectively to make a bold step of faith forward. Specifically, uh, as it pertains to procuring homes for our Shawnee Mission campus and our downtown campus, our two you know, seemingly homeless campuses. Uh, and so if you've been with us, we've been talking about that a little bit, and we'll share a little bit more, but, but we do believe this is a, a time for us to exercise bold faith, and we want to talk about that in more detail. And bold faith, as, as we will see from our text this morning, it takes a big step. So bold faith does take a big story. It takes a big God but it also takes a big step. And not because of, of any kind of religious compulsion or, or some kind of, of spiritual duty or, or even for the sake of things going well for us. Instead, bold faith moves forward and takes a big step because bold faith moves forward to see God move. If, there, if there's anything you take from our time this morning, think about this and unpack this idea. Bold faith moves forward to see God move. And the last two weeks, we've been in the book of Numbers, uh, chapters 13 and 14. And we move ahead a little bit in the story of Israel uh, in the opening chapters of the book of Joshua. And I want to just give us a little bit of a, kind of bring us up to speed of where we are. So from Numbers 14 to Joshua 1, uh, basically Israel kind of rebels against God, doesn't trust God, chooses to rely on their own perspective and understanding, and as a result, they wander in the wilderness for 40 years, putting relatives in the ground year after year after year for four decades. And then, to make matters worse, after 40 years, Moses dies, their great leader, as they're preparing to cross the River Jordan into the Promised Land, Moses goes the way of the earth, as Scripture says. And, and what's so interesting is that when you read the transition into Joshua 1, like God doesn't seem to skip a beat 
going from Moses to Joshua. If you look at Joshua chapter 1, the first two verses, we see the transition from Moses to Joshua. The Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. So again, it appears that God just like doesn't really like, like it's like he almost, almost forgot Moses' name. You know, it's just like, yeah, let's move on. Yeah, he's dead. The mission must move forward. And while it may appear that God's being insensitive, what, what God's communicating is that there's no one that is truly indispensable when it comes to God's mission other than God himself. He's not disregarding or being un, un, under, um, unsympathetic uh, towards Moses, but rather he's communicating no one is indispensable other than God. The mission must move forward, and it will require bold faith to move forward, a bold faith that steps forward. And what I want us to first see as we journey through Joshua 1 through 4 is that bold faith steps forward living in God's presence. Bold faith steps forward living in God's presence. Now, in the opening chapter, chapter 1, uh, which would be the opening chapter that's redundant, um, we see this, this repeat of this promise that God declares eight times to Israel that he will deliver them and bring them into the promised land. Time and time again, God is reminding Israel of this promise and that it will happen. And we see it very clearly in verses 5 and 6. It says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And he's speaking to Joshua. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. And so this promise is reiterated over and over again, but it is bolstered by this other promise that you probably noticed in the verse, that God will be with them. Yes, I have promised the land to you. It is yours for the taking, but know that I go with you wherever you go. The promise of God's presence bolsters this promise that the land is theirs. So Joshua instructs Israel on what they must do. And, and God kind of gives Joshua the specifics of what is needed to step forward, to cross the Jordan, and to faithfully follow after God. And, and if you notice, it's not like God doesn't give Joshua this pep talk, like, all right, Joshua, you got this, buddy. Like, he's not trying to just vaguely inspire him, but he tells him precisely what is needed to step forward in bold faith. And we see that in verse 8. And so this command is given from God to Moses, I'm sorry, from God to Joshua. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. So God is telling Joshua that the more Israel deeply and intimately knows God's law, his word revealed to them, the more they intimately and deeply know God's law, and the, the more they live in accordance with it, the more they will find themselves being strong and courageous. That there's a correlation between the two. He's not just trying to inspire them to be strong and courageous out of nothing, but for Joshua, and really for God, there is a direct correlation between a deep, intimate knowledge of who God is and how he's revealed himself in his word and moving forward with bold faith in strength and courage. Not because uh, we are able to accomplish great things because of our faith and because of who we are, the focus is not on us, but rather what a bold faith does living in God's presence 
that has a deep and intimate knowledge of God's word, what that does to us is that it calibrates our hearts to begin to love the things that God loves. And it begins to clarify our vision to see the things that God sees. This is not just a religious command, know my word and memorize it. God is saying, no, if you are to be bold and courageous stepping forward, you must know me, you must live in my presence. And the way that is done is to know my word. Which is why immediately following that command, this is what God says to Joshua in verse nine. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, I, I wanna kinda connect this a little bit to us because we need to be careful here. We, we are not Israel and I'll talk about that a little bit more is that I don't, I don't think we can directly apply everything in this story to our circumstance. But I believe there are timeless truths that we can see in this story that speak to our current cultural moment and in our time today as the church in 2018. And then the thing that I would say to, this, uh, that I would say to us in light of the timeless truth of Joshua 1 is this. Is it possible that perhaps the reason we find ourselves out in the cold, the fearful cold of what appears to be God's absence and distance and silence Is it possible that the reason we find ourselves in the fearful cold of what appears to be God's absence, distance, and silence is that we have not warmed ourselves by the fire of his word? Is it possible that the reason we feel that God is distant and far from us, the reason we find ourselves fearful about where we are going is because we've not rooted ourselves in who God has declared himself to be in his word? You see, in in some sense, I mean, the, the the truth is, God is always with us, that there's a silliness even to the prayer, God be with us. And I, I know what we mean by that because God is always with us. Really, the prayer should be, Lord, open our eyes to see that you are with us. So the question for the people of God in seeking to live a life of bold faith is not, will God be with us? The real question is, will we live in God's presence by listening to and obeying God's word? You, you see, we, we tend to think that living in God's presence is this kind of existential, experiential thing, and, and while there's some truth to that, it is no less, God, li- living in God's presence is no less than knowing his word and living in accordance with it. And, and this is where the, we, we find the difference between bold faith and bold stupidity. There, there are many differences between the two, but bold stupidity is acting boldly without listening to or, or, or receiving any of the insight or wisdom from God or anybody else, and then just moving forward based on our own perspective and wisdom. We talked a lot about that in the book of Proverbs. But bold faith steps forward first, listening to what God has said, and being able and willing to live in accordance with how God has called us to live. Then and only then are we able to live in his presence and move forward boldly with strength and courage. The question is, can this be said of us? Does this describe us as a people? If you're a follower of Jesus, would you be described as a person who listens to God's word and who seeks to do what it says, not out of a sense of obligation or duty, but out of a sense of delight in knowing God and walking with him? So bold faith steps forward, living in God's presence. But as we go on in Joshua, we also see that to step forward, a bold faith in stepping forward also means that we walk in God's wake. 
Bold faith steps forward, walking in God's wake. So, so the big day has arrived, so, so Israel is prepared to cross the River Jordan. There's a long time coming, and so they're finally there, the banks of the River Jordan, ready to cross into the finish, uh, in the finish line, the promised land. Um, and so what do they do? What, what is needed? What is necessary in this moment? Do they, do they start taking swimming lessons? You know, is it, do we need to start building a bridge? Like, should we, you know, kind of dust off Uncle Grandpa? Uncle Grandpa. <laughs> that's, uh, uh, <laughs> that's wonderful. Uh, Grandpa Noah's schematic plans for the, for the ark, you know. I'm never going to forget Uncle Grandpa now. That's wonderful. You know, what is the plan? What do they do? Do we start swimming? How do we get across this river? And the instructions are, I'm, I just got to stop for a second. Uncle Grandpa, that's good. The instructions are given in chapter 3 for how God's people are to move forward. And we see this in verse 2. As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitic, Levitical priests... Then you shall set out from your place and follow it. So that's it. Those are the instructions. It's not, there's no bridge, there's no swimming lessons, there's no boat. It is watch for this shiny box that when it's open, pieces, people's you know, faces melt. Like, like watch for this box and walk after it. And, and, and you gotta remember what, what, this, what the Ark of the Covenant represents. It's not a flotation device, you know, like, it's not like this inflatable raft that comes out of it. The, the Ark of the Covenant is the symbol of God's presence with his people. It is a way to constantly communicate, I am with you. And so what this means is that when God says, let the Ark of the Covenant go forward and then follow after the priests as they carry it, what God is saying to Israel is saying, wait, I will go first. I will go first, I will enter into the Jordan, and you walk in my wake. Follow after me, why? Because you don't know where you're going. You have never been here before. Follow me. God is calling them to boldly step forward, yes, into the Jordan River, not knowing what's gonna happen here, and to cross over into the Promised Land, not knowing the enemies they're going to face and what that's gonna look like. But God goes ahead of them and calls them to walk after him and to watch and see what happens. Which is why in verse four, there's this instruction of, of distance from the Ark of the Covenant. Verse four says, yet there shall be a distance between you and it, referring to the, the Ark of the Covenant, about 2,000 cubits, which is about a half mile or so. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. And so the distance here is not so they have this like great view of, of what's to happen, although that's, that's partly true. What, what God is wanting them to see is like, I want you to step back and see me go first so that you can follow after me. This distance is needed so that God can lead them, so that they can know God goes before them, and so that they can walk in his wake. And so the priests are instructed to take the Ark of the Covenant to the banks of the River Jordan and to place the soles of their feet into the river and wait. And then after God's people, they take their first step into the river, God shows up and moves forward ahead of them in a mighty way. And in chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, we see what happens. And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and as the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, just, just ever so slightly, and I love this parenthetical line. Now, the Jordan, overflows, the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. It's like, just so you know, this stuff doesn't happen all the time. 
And then he goes on to record, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away. And so this is how God shows up. And you, I mean, you just got to imagine, I mean, what a remarkable sight this must have been to see the Jordan River split in two, which many of them saw and witnessed before in the crossing of the Red Sea. And, I, and I've got to believe in this moment, as Joshua is watching this all happen, as he's the, the new leader of Israel, I've got to believe that in this moment, he's replaying the conversation, the last conversation he had with his mentor Moses before Moses died and went the way of the earth. If you just skip back a few pages, go to Deuteronomy chapter 31, and we'll see this last conversation that, that Moses has with Joshua. And one of the things that he says to Joshua in chapter 31 of Deuteronomy, verse 7, it sounds familiar. Moses says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. For you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. And you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. And he will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. I mean, that's powerful. And I mean, that, that's the message that Moses gives to Joshua. It's the message that Joshua gives to the people of Israel to move forward in bold faith, not knowing what is ahead of them but they know who goes ahead of them. And so again, what, what, is, what does this mean for us? What is the timeless truth that, that this story communicates to us? Well, I believe what it means is that regardless of, of where we are in life and where we are going at, as individuals and as collective, uh, collective group of uh, congregation, is that God will never call us, he will never call us somewhere he has not been already. Or to maybe say it in a more pointed and more mysterious way, God will never call us to go somewhere where he isn't already present. You see, because God, who is infinite, is not bound by time or by place. And so we can trust that as we walk in his way, as we follow him, he is not just leading us, but he is already there where we are heading. It doesn't necessarily make the journey easier, but we have a confidence that we didn't have before without that knowledge. Going back to the story of me uh, hiking, uh, the 14er, if, if you've ever done some uh, hiking on trails, you're familiar with uh, something called Karens. Karens are these piles of rocks on trails that communicate to you you're on the right path. Now, obviously, like, these don't just like, happen in nature by, by, uh, by normal um, actions. They communicate, okay, someone did this. Someone piled these rocks, and they tell you you're on the right path, you're going in the right direction, keep it up. And I've got to tell you, you know, when you're down like below tree line and you're in the trails, you know, the trail's pretty obvious, but once you get above the tree line and you're just going through the boulder field, you're like, there's no trail, like there's no sidewalk, there's no like walking escalator, you know? And so these Karens, I can't tell you how comforting they are when you're up there and you have altitude sickness and you just want to go home and be held by your mom, hypothetically speaking. Uh, you see these Karens and they tell you you're on the right path. You're moving forward in the right direction. Keep going. Now, these Karens don't make the path any easier. It, it doesn't make it simpler. Like, I, I don't get like, like some kind of jetpack to get me to the summit, but what it does give me is a confidence for every subsequent step that I take, knowing that I'm moving in the right direction. And what's so interesting is this is precisely what God instructs Israel to do after they cross the Jordan. 
As they cross the Jordan, he tells them to compile these, these rocks together as stones of remembrance, of memorial stones to remind themselves and their children and their children's children of the faithfulness of God and who he has been and what he has done. But, but it's not just so that we might know who God has been and what God has done, but so that we will continue to trust him and know that he is moving us forward. You see, the stones of remembrance compel us to look forward to see what God will do next. And that's precisely what I want us to turn to now, is we see that, yes, bold faith steps forward living in God's presence. Bold faith steps forward walking in God's wake. But we also see that it steps forward anticipating God's next move. Now, we, we could stop here at this story, and, and it, would be, it would be like a decent sermon, like a B-minus sermon, you know, on bold faith. Like, okay, oh, I see this. We've got to live in God's presence. Uh, we should walk in his wake. But we would have a very myopic, very limited view of what bold faith is until we see this last piece, that bold faith steps forward anticipating God's next move. And the reason I say that is because of, of the chapter I skipped, Joshua 2. Some of you are like, wait a second, you skipped that. We're going to go back to that. And then the last two verses of Joshua chapter 4. So turn with me to Joshua chapter 4, and I want us to read verses 23 through 24. And we're going to see kind of the big why behind the crossing of the River Jordan. So this is after the crossing of the Jordan, the memorial stones come together, and we read in verse 23, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. And why did God do this? What is the purpose for his actions here? So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So why has God done this? Why is he calling Israel forward to cross the Jordan and enter the promised land? Yes, to display his power. Yes, to, to, put, uh, to demonstrate his, his loyal love to his people. Yes, to fulfill his promises. But we must keep in mind that the promise of the promised land is one promise uh, piece of, of the chain, the, the, the link in the broad chain of God's promises. The purpose of the promise of the promised land goes back to what God had promised to Abraham, that through him, through Israel, all the nations would be blessed. The reason why Israel crosses the Jordan into the promised land is so that all the peoples of the earth may know and fear the Lord. This is why God called Israel to bold faith. Not for themselves, not so they could have a mighty nation unto themselves, not so they could have a nice summer home in Canaan, but rather so that the, the promise given to Abraham might continue to be fulfilled through them. You see, crossing the Jordan to the promised land was not ultimately for Israel. It was for those that they didn't know yet. It was for those not yet born, like you and me. And it was for people like Rahab. So go back to Joshua 2, and we are introduced to a remarkable woman by the name of Rahab. And so the Israelite spies are sent into Jericho to check out the land, to see what they're in store for as they cross the River Jordan. And they meet a woman named Rahab, 
who is less than a legitimate businesswoman, okay? So Rahab is, uh, is an outsider. She's a Gentile. She's a, a citizen of Jericho, the enemy of God's people, and she's also a prostitute. So many, quote-unquote, strikes against her in the eyes of the people of Israel. And yet God chooses this woman to be instrumental in his plan in fulfilling the promises that Israel would be a blessing to all the nations. And in so doing, as a result, Rahab not only is instrumental and used by God, she is brought into the family of God. She becomes a worshiper of Yahweh. And, and, and she's brought into the family, not like you're welcome to come to Thanksgiving when you want, but that she is a member of the royal lineage even of King David. And like, like, you know the parts of the Bible we tend to skip over, like the genealogies, like so-and-so begat so-and-so? This is where it's beautiful. Because you see, Rahab, Rahab, in the, the royal line of King David, Rahab uh, was the, the mother of Boaz. Boaz, who was married to Ruth, gave birth to Obed. Obed gave birth to Jesse. This is going somewhere, I promise. Jesse gave birth to, uh, Jesse was the father of King David. And King David is the one that the Messiah, the promised one, Jesus himself, was born from. And so this outsider woman has been brought in, used by God, and she now finds a home among a people where she was just a dirty outsider too. You see, Israel, Israel needed to take a bold faith forward so that Rahab could find a home. And as I reflect on Rahab's story, when you see kind of the big picture of what God is doing through his people, I can't help but think of, of Brian. Brian uh, was a member of a church who uh, started attending here earlier this spring. And, and Brian, I, I met Brian um, earlier this year, and when we met, he told me that he thought the church was filled with self-righteous people and that pastors only wanted your money. And I was like, hi, I'm Reed, nice to meet you. And, um, and, and we met for coffee uh, several weeks ago, and he was sharing with me just kind of his, his journey, uh, his skepticism towards the church, his skepticism towards the Christian faith. Uh, and he said when he showed up to church here in the spring, he was fully expecting to, to kind of experience the same things. And to Brian's surprise, instead of what, of what he was expecting to encounter, he, he encountered Jesus. He encountered the gospel, the message that Christ and his life, death, and resurrection accomplished all that we need to be forgiven and declared right in the eyes of God by faith in him, not through what we do. The incredible free grace of Jesus Christ in the gospel, which we were preaching through in the book of Galatians in particular, captivated Brian. He told me that he had never heard this message before to this degree. And that, that, that is not about Nathan or myself and our preaching abilities. That is about the beauty and the power of the gospel and bringing dead people into life. It was this good news that, that got a hold of Brian's heart that led him to be a part of this church family, even though he entered these doors with a lot of skepticism, he left as a brother in Christ. And I had this conversation with Brian two weeks before he passed away. Uh, Brian, uh, last month, lost his battle with cancer. And I had the joy and the honor but the heavy burden of, of officiating that funeral. And what was so incredible, I mean, yes, I mean, I lament and I grieve over the loss of, of his life 
And I wish we had more years with him and to see how he would beautifully contribute to the life of this local body. But I'm also so thankful for the fact that God showed his grace towards Brian and brought him in, who brought him home into the family of God. And I'm also thankful for so many who believe in the mission of the church, who contributed to this building being possible so that people like Brian and many others are able to come in with their skepticism and doubts and questions and hear the free grace of Jesus Christ and the gospel and be radically changed. And here's what's, this is, this is incredible. One of Brian's dying wishes was that all memorial contributions in, in, in honor of him be given to Christ's community. Which you just gotta, you gotta understand the irony that like a man who saw the church as nothing but self-righteous people, pastors only want your money, chose in his dying breath to say, I, I, want, I want the church to be the recipient of memorial contributions in my honor. And that says something. Again, money isn't everything, but it communicates something about our hearts. This brother of ours who saw the church as nothing more than a a money-hungry institution was so impacted by the gospel and the mission of our church that he wanted to see it continue. And friends, this is what we do. As a church, we are a caring family who multiplies churches, multiplies disciples, and multiplies leaders. If you don't like that, if you're tired uh, tired of that, well, don't be tired of it and join us and be a part of this. And this is why we want to continue this mission to, to spread and to increase our reach for all peoples. And we want to share a story of why specifically we want to do that in Shawnee Mission. Take a look. Well, good morning, Christ community. My name is Tim Spammer, and I serve as the campus pastor at our Shawnee Mission campus. And I'm Mitch Holtus, and I'm an elder at Christ community who attends our Shawnee Mission campus. We're excited to be on video with you this morning. This is a big week for our campus. We have reached an agreement on a building in Shawnee, which is a process that goes back over four years. Before we even announced that there would be a Shawnee campus, I was in a car driving around Shawnee, looking at buildings, trying to find a long-term home for our campus. And four years after setting up and tearing down, for whatever reason, uh, God waited a while, but here we are. Yeah, for uh, we were there at the beginning of Shawnee Mission. It just Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, thinking, you know, starting at Maranatha Academy and recently at Trail Ridge Middle School, setting up and tearing down, thinking maybe just to taste the sweet nectar of the ends. Mitch, are you thinking about the building in Shawnee or Patrick Mahomes? Actually, both, to tell you the truth. Uh, One thing that's been great, I'm so proud uh, of our folks at Shawnee Mission, but what I've been able to see, Tim, over the past four years is something that's real. It's the great thing about Christ's community, real faith. Uh, real study of the word, uh, a real spirit to work together no matter the situation. Yeah, when I think about taking that real community we have and, and having a home that we can invite people into, that gets me excited that this move isn't just about us not having to set up and tear down anymore. It's about having a home to invite other people into. And I think about our partnership with Advice and Aid, where we often do events with them, but we do them in other churches or other facilities. Now we can welcome them in into our, our home. When I think about just the community presence and the rootedness, I get really excited. Yeah, a couple things I want to mention, too, is one, when you invite and reach out people to attend worship with you, it gets a little awkward with the whole set up and tear down. You're trying to have a meaningful conversation, but it's kind of like going to dinner and they're painting or putting up wallpaper around you. The second thing What excites me about being on the elder leadership team is to see the cooperation in this endeavor with all five campuses, sacrifices that are being made. 
And again, that oneness in five, so to speak, uh, of people reaching out saying, hey, we want you to have a home. Yeah, we have a mission that we cannot accomplish alone. And, and thinking about that, this past summer, there was a season actually where we didn't have to tear down at, at church, and, and it created space for conversation. And so there was a morning, uh, Misty and I, we were hanging out after church, just catching our breath, and, and in walked a friend of ours who was, was just hurting, was frustrated, and came in just in this refreshingly honest conversation. And we, we talked, we prayed, it was a powerful, powerful moment. Three weeks ago, we could not have had that conversation because the room would have been uh, torn down and people all around us. It wouldn't have been possible. And that's why we're excited about this potential building. And here's the thing, we can't take that step without all of us together moving in the same direction, that our mission takes all of us together. And here's the thing about that person who came and, and talked to my wife and I. She actually used to attend our Leewood campus, but, but she lived in Shawnee. It was too far of a drive and eventually uh, fell out of it being able to attend Christ Community. And then, and then four years ago, we planted in Shawnee where she could walk to our church with her family. And a couple weeks ago, we were watching the Chiefs game after church. And there in the midst of pizza, she came up to me and she just said, Tim, thank you for this church. And that was a thank you that took all of us together on mission. And now it's time for us to go and do it again. That's pretty exciting. Um, not only seeing Mitch Holtz on a screen, but, but, but as, we think about, as we think about the mission God has called us to and the opportunities that are presented to us. And, and we are. We are eager to see what God will do in and through us uh, as a church across all of our campuses. But, but I want to say something very clearly I'm not Joshua, we are not Israel, and these buildings are not the promised land. And, and, and I know that the church in, in, throughout history has, has used this story uh, in, in abusive ways to justify things like uh, unlawful land acquisition of the displacement of people groups and, and even slavery itself. And, that's something, and not only is that an abuse of, of God's word, but it is an attack on his image because all people are made in his image. But but I want to be clear is that while this story doesn't directly apply to us, it's not like, okay, this is our land. Well, let's go forward and take it. It is ours. I'm not communicating that. But there are timeless truths in this story that I do believe speak to us, particularly the idea that bold faith moves forward to see God move. And so I, I don't know what will happen if, if we step forward and we put our, our feet in the proverbial water, so to speak. I don't know if we'll, we'll get these buildings. I, I don't know how all of it will come together, but I also don't know what will happen if we don't. What happens if this is not available to our shining mission in downtown campuses? But what I do know is this, is that there is a generation behind us whose shoulders that we stand on who are saying, keep going. The mission must move forward. Moses is irrelevant, so to speak. We need to keep moving the mission forward. But I also know that there's a generation that is coming up behind us who need us to move forward, a generation of people whose, whose names we don't know, whose faces we've never seen, whose stories we've never heard, who need us to move forward so that they might come to know the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are Rahabs and Bryans who need Christ's community to move forward. The question is, are we able to do that? Because it will require us living in God's presence, walking in God's wake, and anticipating God's next move. And I believe the reason we can do that 
is not because uh, I can give a, you know, a motivational speech and get us all inspired and move on, but rather because of the faith in the one in whom our faith is placed. Because you see, Jesus came as the manifestation of God's presence. He's the true and better Ark of the Covenant, if you will. He came to be with us forever so that wherever we go, we would know that God will never leave us nor forsake us. We also know that Jesus is the one who came as the suffering servant who looked at the cross that each and every one of us deserved to be nailed to, and he looked at us and said, me first. I will go ahead of you. I will endure your punishment so that you can receive the blessings of forgiveness and being declared a child of God. And by faith and repentance in Jesus, we can walk in the wake of God's faithfulness and goodness knowing that the victory over sin and death is ours through Christ Jesus. And we also hopefully anticipate God's next move in his return of Christ, his reign and rule over this earth and the establishment of his kingdom that knows no end. This is why we can step forward in bold faith because we've seen God move before in our life and we want to see him move in the lives of others. We're eager to see that so that the whole earth might know God, delight in him with all of their being. So how, how can we not step forward in bold faith knowing this? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do come to you. I, I, I admit, Lord, I come to you with, with a sense of, of fear and trepidation, of not knowing what is ahead of us. And, and Lord, this, this, this pertains to not just what, where you're leading us as a church, Lord, but I just know in my life I do not live in your presence enough. Lord, listening to and obeying your word, Lord, I know that I do not walk in your wake knowing that you go before me. And Lord, I know I do not anticipate your next move trusting that you are at work. So Lord, would you open our eyes to see who you are? Would you root us in your word? Would you give us a confidence in the path that you're leading us in? And Lord, we ask that you would direct our steps in the direction that truly does bring about the greatest good for all people and the glory of your name. Lord, would you do this, we ask, and would you equip us with the faith to move forward as we follow you, the one who goes ahead of us. It's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Well, it is a, it is a joy to, to worship with you all uh, and to gather together to hear from God's word. And um, and yeah, as we bring this kind of bold faith uh, series to an end, uh, we, we don't stop moving forward in bold faith. And so we wanted to just share some next steps, kind of update you on where we are in this process as we think about uh, homes for Shawnee Mission in downtown. Um, for some of you, if, if you're new here, you may not remember this, but uh, three years ago we began our uh, Reach KC initiative, which, um, where we had funds for this building that we're in now, as well as money set aside, uh, $1 million to purchase land for Shawnee Mission. And, and the, the plan was to have land and then later on down the road to build upon that land. But, but instead of that, which would have been, I mean, very, very pricey as well, um, we have an option for a building right now uh, that's been presented to us. And not just any building, it's, it's precisely in the place where the Shawnee Mission Campus leadership team wants to have their permanent home. Uh, it's on Shawnee Mission Parkway in between 435 and I-35. Um, and so it's perfectly placed where they, where they want to be. Uh, the, the, the building is about 20 
27,000 square feet, uh, which gives them adequate space for what they need now, but also room to grow, uh, to expand, as that, uh, the reach of Christ community continues there. Uh, it's, it's in an old Hobby Lobby, uh, so one benefit is that the Shawnee Mission campus will smell like potpourri forever. Um, <laughs> So that's nice, but, um, but it's, it's, it's been gutted. It's, it's, a, it's a, a kind of a blank slate, a canvas to paint with, so to speak. And uh, Tim Spanberg, our Shawnee Mission Campus pastor, visited a church in Milwaukee that did precisely this, that they had this big empty building for them to um, uh, kind of retrofit and, and meet the needs precisely of what that congregation uh, was looking for. And so, so it's truly a beautiful thing to see. Uh, this is not this is not from the future. Like, I come from the future. This is Shawnee Mission Campus. But, but it's what could be. And so we really are encouraged to see what could come of this. Uh, again, there's still a lot for us to figure out and think through. Um, but buying land and then building on it would be a much higher price tag for sure. And where we are in the due diligence process now is that if we got this building and, and with the renovations, we believe we could, we could have services there for under $3 million dollars which is a big price tag, obviously, but it's way less than what it would have been by buying land and then building on top of that. Uh, so again, there's still, still work to be done. Uh, our downtown campus, uh, there's not as much um, new information to share or progress there. Uh, we hope to have some more information to share as we continue on. Uh, but as something develops, our hope is that, that we'd be able to move forward and we're equally as excited about opportunities for downtown. Um, but I want to invite us just to four, uh, or a few uh, quick action steps uh, in light of this. The first, and I don't say it flippantly or trivially, but, but to pray with us. Uh, to pray for God's favor. If this is the direction he's moving us in, great. We want to follow that. Uh, pray that it, we would have favor in the eyes of those that we're, we're working with and the sellers of this property. But also pray for those that we don't know yet. As I mentioned, the people whose names we don't know, whose faces we haven't seen, whose stories we haven't heard. Pray for the Bryans and the Rahabs in our communities that they might be brought into the church family. So we invite you to pray. Secondly, uh, we invite you to put December 9th on your calendar for our next congregational meeting uh, where we hope to have more information uh, both about Shawnee Mission but also p uh, possible options for downtown. Uh, so please put that on your, you'll, you'll hear more about that, but put that on your calendar December 9th. Uh, we'll share more about that. And then lastly, we do. We invite you, if you're able and willing, to give, uh, to be a part of the work of multiplying churches, disciples, and leaders uh, around our city. Uh, and so if you were a part of our Reach KC initiative, you haven't completed your pledges, please do that as well. Uh, but if you would like to give over and above what you normally give to Christ's community, we do ask that you would just put Reach KC in the memo of your check or, or online. You can do that as well. But uh, there's going to be more information to come uh, to share for sure. Uh, but again, put, put December 9th on your calendar for the congregational meeting. So I know that's a lot of information. Uh, it's, it, it is a joy to be with you this morning. Uh, we hope to gather with you next Sunday uh, as we start our new series in the book of Isaiah, Coming Home, uh, which will take us through Advent. And so we're looking forward to being in that beautiful book. So, uh, so yeah, so that's, that's the skinny. Uh, so I invite you to stand uh, for our benediction uh, from Matthew chapter 28. Uh, we shared this last week, but how fitting it is to hear the words of Jesus as he declares to his disciples and continuing the mission forward. So as we go from being the church gathered to being the church scattered, hear these words. And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. Go in peace. Have a great week. You're all special to me.